Welcome to the Short Term Show, the show about short term rentals and long term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. Good morning, short-term shoppers. Welcome back to the show. Today, we have a guest who is very near and dear to my heart because he is my husband, Mr. Luke Carl. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about how we have built our investment portfolio. So we went from zero investments in 2016 to today in 2021, we have 41 doors. It is a mix of everything from single-family long-terms to a 12-unit multi to $1.2 million short-term rentals. So we're going to tell you how we did it, what it took to get there. And we are really excited to share our story with you. Today, I have my partner in crime and co-founder of the short-term shop, Cashflow Carl, the multifamily madman, Mr. Luke Carl. Thank you for, thank you for stopping by. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I have many nicknames. (laughs) And this so, is really weird, but uh, I'm hoping that may- maybe you'll learn something about me. Possibly. So um, why don't you get started by telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you were doing before you got into real estate and how you got into real estate investing? Man, I've done everything, right? So back in the day, um, I well, I'm originally from the Midwest. I grew up uh, in, in uh, humble beginnings. Uh, my father was a... a Vietnam. He's a Vietnam vet, which is awesome. And he's a retired mailman. And my mother cut hair in the house that I grew up in. And um, yeah, so nice, uh, very, very nice blue collar upbringing. And I moved to New York City when I was uh, 20. I uh, got into the bar business. I ended up owning my own or own, a, a little slice of a tiny little rock and roll bar in New York City uh, by the age of 25. And shortly thereafter began my landlording career, although I didn't know it at the time. So what happened was, is I, uh, I just kind of found a house, a re- apartment for rent in, in New York that uh, uh, I moved into and my, my roommate had the lease and it was, um, you know, X amount of dollars per month. And then next thing I know, she says, Hey, I'm moving out. My landlord is really cool. They're not going to care or even know what's going on. Uh, do you want to take over the lease? And I'm like, yeah, sweet. So, uh, and again, I'm like 25 years old. And, and, and so I went down to the, to the office of this, uh, landlord. They own like the whole neighborhood in Brooklyn and signed the lease and they never came and looked. And then, and then at this point I found out how much the actual rent was of this, uh, apartment. Versus what I was paying. So I was paying a good two thirds of the rent and, um, you know, light bulbs went off in my brain and I, my roommate at the time had a, was living in what was the living room and she put a curtain up. So I went so far as to build a wall, move somebody in. And then I was paying, I was charging them like three quarters of the rent. And then that's, uh, that's kind of how my, uh, my landlording career began, um, after that, I, uh, I stayed in the bar business for quite some time. I ended up in the radio business, which I'm still in part-time today. Um, I met you, and uh, we we moved to Nashville. And then basically for me anyway, uh, I know your story is slightly different, but I was there as well. And, you know, that's my story is, is that we 
moved from New York where it's a million dollars to buy anything. And we all of a sudden we could afford to buy a house. And that was kind of how my house buying career started. We bought a house to live in, uh, in uh, outside of Nashville. And I fell in love with that process. I said, there's something to this process here. I, 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 I kind of gravitated towards the inspector in the house buying, our very first house buying process. And I ended up going to home inspector school because I thought, you know, I was, there was something in that process there for me. I just didn't know what it was. So I gravitated towards the home inspector, went to home inspector school, quickly realized that was not for me. Um, even though uh, it was like every penny I had to go to that, uh, to, to go to that school and, and a uh, weekend of my life, but anyway, a whole weekend. Um, but, uh, so I, I think somewhere in there, I realized that, that that wasn't what I wanted to do, but the buying of the house was really something I was super interested in. And it just kind of blossomed from there. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about what your first deal looked like. Well, the first deal was uh, we was a primary, and um, so we bought this house that was it was nice. It didn't really need rehab or anything, but uh, we moved in and ended up rehabbing it. So it did turn into a burr, um, and I didn't know what that was at the time. I had no idea, and you you were there. Uh, so, uh, I had no idea what a, hadn't read Rich Dad at this point yet. But we bought this nice little farmhouse out in the country, um, and. Uh, moved into it, rehabbed it because we had to the uh, septic. It was, it was in the country. So the septic failed, um, had to re redo the septic, which is, I found, you know, I found out years later, that's not common. That was actually a rare situation. Um, septics generally perform pretty well. I've got, I own several of them today. Um, and then ended up doing the kitchen, you know, uh, countertops, things like this, um, uh, new HVAC because the HVAC died, we had no choice. So we ended up over time, new windows, you know, re redoing this house. That house kind of has a long story. I'll finish it up now, though, so we don't have to come back to it. Uh, we lived in it for five years, put it somewhere in that area, put a tenant in it. Um, after two years of the tenant, two and a half years of the tenant, we ended up, uh, well, and, and in the meantime, we did HELOC that house uh, and use that to buy another property, which we still own and, and, and crushed, cr that property crushes it. Um, so that house I bought for free, essentially. And um, so I, I lived in it. I burned it. Uh, 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 or house hacked, I guess you would say. I house hacked it. He locked it to buy another property, moved a tenant into it, and then ultimately sold it um, before the, the uh, two out of the last five rule. Uh, so we, we sold it tax free and ended up putting that back into the business and it did go into other properties and rehabs. It just wasn't uh, a situation where we had to 1031 because we, we took advantage of the, the two out of the last five. So, but anyway, somewhere in there, we ended up buying our first uh, rental property. Let's dive into the rental property, your first rental. Let's talk about that one. How'd you find it? Where'd you find it? Uh, what was the process there? Yeah, so we fell in love with this house buying thing, and uh, we said, "Okay, what do we, wh what do we got to do next?" You know, okay, we had success, and it was just, at the time it seemed like such a scary thing, um, and so we we were we said, "What are we going to do? How are we going to buy another one?" 
And uh, I sat down with a with a yellow pad and a and a piece of paper, Miracle Morning style, uh, way before I knew what that was. And I I did some math, and I I figured out that if we lived on twenty dollars a day for eighteen months, hang on. Who did the math and figured out if you lived on $20 a day for 18 months? I, mean, I just, because you're not that mu- a big of a fan of math. I just assumed it was me, but maybe not. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> uh, so we lived on $20 a day. I think technically it was $20 one day, $30 the next each uh, for 18 months. And our goal was to simply buy a $100,000 property for 20% down because we just heard through the grapevine it was 20% down on an investment. And that's exactly what we did. It ended up taking us 17 months. We bought a house uh, that was exact kind of, you know, where we wanted it to be. It was a, it was a m- more difficult process than I'm making it sound. At least at the time it was. Uh, looking back on it, it was really kind of nothing. Um, but, you know, when you're new and and, and all that stuff is, is very scary. Uh, so, but I, I walked into that house for the first time and, I, and I, you were there, obviously. And, uh, and I think we both agreed there was nothing going to stop us from buying that thing. So we did and uh, still own it. And that one's turning into quite a story now as well. Um, it's it's uh, still got the original tenant. It has been slightly rehabbed. It was in pretty good shape when we bought it. I've done a new deck. Uh, it's got a new HVAC going in, new roof. So it's being sort of flipped right now. And then I'm preparing it for sale because it is, it's outside of Nashville and it's had a ton of equity uh, injected into it due to Nashville. And uh, we're uh, just basically waiting for that lease to expire. And going to 1031 that into and an apartment building, or at least uh, a, more than half of an apartment building, I think, is how that's going to end up working out. Are you looking to purchase your first short-term or vacation rental or add to your existing portfolio? If so, the Short-Term Shop, the country's premier short-term rental acquisition firm, is here to help. Not only will our team of expert real estate agents help you locate and acquire your next short-term rental, we have an entire back-end training program where we will train you on every aspect of managing your short-term rental from anywhere. From setting up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to the automation tools you'll need to streamline your business and connecting you to local cleaners and tradespeople needed to manage your property. We have offices in the top producing vacation rental markets in the nation, including Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Wears Valley, and the Great Smoky Mountain areas of Tennessee, in Florida, Destin, 30A, Panama City Beach, Mexico Beach, Cape Sandblast, Port St. Joe, and St. George Island, Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, and Dauphin Island, Alabama, and the Blue Ridge in North Georgia Mountains. To set up your search or schedule a consultation, head on over to theshorttermshop.com. Awesome. So when was that that you bought your first uh, single family long-term? First single family long-term we bought in 2000, I want to say 13, maybe 14. Is that the house hack or the first true investment property? The one we moved into was 12, I believe. Might have been 13. And then the investment was was 13 or 14. Am I am I mistaken? Yes. <laughs> well, tell me then. I have I no think, idea. I think that first investment was like 15 or 16, but that's fine. maybe. So uh 
Why short-term? When did you buy your first short-term? How many long-terms did you own before you got a short-term? Tell me a little that, bit about that. That was you. That was all you for sure. I'm definitely going to give you credit on that. I, I never even heard of this thing before. And, and you know, short-term, I do want to, you know, you hear short-term and it has like a stigma and it can sometimes for somebody that doesn't know what what we do, uh, you know, it's a whole maybe a, they're more used to like the arbitrage type thing where you kind of rent your cousin's closet, you know. But um, for us, it was simply okay. We want to buy another property. Nashville has now all of a sudden in these eighteen months become too hot. What are we going to do? And it was your idea. You know, you grew up in the south, and uh, and and you you grew up going to the mountains with your family. Uh, and and you said to me, uh, let's go buy a cabin in the woods in the mountains and i thought to myself well why if there's cabins out there why why have we been sleeping in a tent because we were going to the mountains all the time anyway it was just right down the road and uh i hate tent camping by the way it I'll never did not go well uh <laughs> so i said well let me let me let's buy this uh let's buy a uh a cabin i don't think we were even married yet um and and so we bought this first cabin scared to death had no idea what we were doing um and, uh, it, it, I, we lost a lot of sleep over it. I certainly did. And, uh, nobody was doing it at the time. I think I, I did, I did back then what is now because is now called the enemy method. And I searched every property on the internet, uh, trying to find some answers and get some answers. Nobody could help us. There was just nobody out there. I ended up finding two people that were self-managing and one of them was doing some kind of weird thing where he had like 55 properties and they, a lot of partners involved and he didn't, he, he, what he didn't want to talk to me. And, and then I found this lovely woman uh, who owned two properties and she lived in Memphis. And I thought to myself, well, she's doing it from Memphis. I can certainly do this from, from much closer. And, uh, uh, she gave me, you know, she was nice enough to get on. I, it was, she was my enemy. I ended up getting her on the phone. I don't recommend that by the way. Uh, it's probably a complete waste of time, but, uh, she was very sweet and she just was basically like, Hey, I'm doing this and you can do it too. And that's really all, all it uh, kind of took. We ended up buying that one, that first one, and it went wonderfully. And then next thing you know, we ended up with five in one year, five of those, uh, short term, those log cabins in one year. Okay, so let's unpack a little bit about your enemy helping you because there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to this who maybe don't have a mentor or, you know, are buying in an area where they just, you know, there's not a lot of people doing it and there's not, you know, maybe there's not a short term shop of that area to help them do that. So talk a little bit about how you got someone, some random person on Airbnb to talk to you about the process. I mean, everything in life is a pitch, right? So, I mean, I, I went, I just said, I need to find somebody who's done this just to make sure that I can actually do this. And it turned out at the time, you know, six years ago, whatever it was, uh, clearly we, we have different dates on this. I don't know, but yeah, I don't you know. don't remember anything, right? <laughs> as far as dates go, but that's fine. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I don't even know what day this is, but uh, so, you know, I just, I really just kind of wanted to, get a hold of somebody who had done this before. And like I said, I narrowed, I, I went on Verbo and back then it was called VRBO, you know, and Airbnb. And, and I, I found what I thought were other people doing this. Um, and most of them turned out they were not, uh, it was a property management company kind of posing as an individual. Um, and I found this out because they would send like a canned response or, uh, you know, who knows what it may have been back then. Uh, but, 
I, I found what I thought were the only two people that were legitimately renting their own properties in Sevier County uh, at the time. And I, I pitched myself to this, to this lovely lady and I said, Hey, we, we want to try this out. And uh, is there any way you could offer me a little bit of advice? And I just was, I was as nice as I possibly could be. It's like you hear uh, anywhere it's you, you got to provide value. And I didn't have any value to, to provide her other than the fact that I was hoping that she would kind of take me as a charity case, which is exactly what I was at the time. And, um, and she did, she was very sweet. She was a nurse. She was a, a, a kind of a high level, you know, she worked at St. Jude's. So she had a very high demanding job and, uh, worked 70, 80 hours a week. And that was a big part of it. She said, you know, I work 80 hours a week. I live seven hours each way and I'm doing this by myself. I had nobody to help me. And she had, I think three or two or three at the time. Um, and I stayed in touch with her for quite some time. I haven't uh, spoken to her. I think, I think she, didn't you end up selling her, her properties? Yeah. A few years later, she got out of the game. Uh, her husband had some health problems and they had quite a bit of equity in their properties and they were ready to get out. Uh, she did not list with me. She for sale by owner, but I did sell it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Honestly, she was a very do it yourself. Uh, you know, she'd probably, but, uh, uh, Anyways, uh, yeah, so she she uh, she opened my eyes and, and off we went. Yeah, so basically you really, there is a mentor out there for you if you don't have one or if you don't have somebody to show you the ropes, you can find one. Like this random, very nice woman just started talking to you, some random guy who asked for help on the internet and she took the time out of her day to help you. So I think that says a lot about, um, you know, it's not just if you knock on enough doors, one will eventually open. That's exactly what it is. I'm sure there were more people doing this. It literally took, you know, 15,000 properties worth of me narrowing it down to finding to find this one woman that was that was a good fit for me. I didn't know what a mentor was. I, I had no idea. I didn't know that's what I was looking for. I just knew that I'm just, I don't take no for an answer. I'm going to kick and scream until I get what I need or what I want. Or even if I don't know what I want, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get to the next level of whatever it may be. And uh, we ended up buying that first property. It went extremely well. We still own it. And our uh, short-term rental uh, career uh, began. And I'm I'm still on the mentor thing, so we'll we'll get to that in just a second. So it's it's really all in your approach, I think, of when you are looking for a mentor and you're asking someone for help or to help you with something. It's really important to come across like a a real person and not like just a a canned response or not a, a response, like a canned script, basically for getting a mentor that you might hear on a podcast or read online. Like you you can't just go up to someone and say, hello, would you like to be my mentor? I am a mentee and would like to be treated as such. You you do have to be a real person and say, hey, you know, I'm looking for a little bit of help. I'm about to make this big investment. Uh, could I borrow five minutes of your time and and just be real with them? That's how I got to her. I didn't know what a mentor was. I didn't know what I was looking for. I was just super real and, uh, and it worked in my favor. Awesome. That's the nugget that I was trying to get out of that. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, so we scaled 
to five short-term rentals in our portfolio within about a year. And I had somebody ask me yesterday, well, how do people do that? Are they just sitting on a ton of money that they can use for down payments? Or are they? is there something that I don't know? Is there some kind of creative way to do this? We had no money. Uh, we when Avery and I first met again, it's it's uh, my lovely bride here. Uh, a little weird, but uh, it, when we first met, you already know this. The, the lovely folks that are listening don't. We didn't have anything. Uh, I was uh, getting out of the bar business, starting a new career in radio, and uh, and we were both bartenders basically. And Avery ended up going back to school and. Um, we, we literally had, you know, we, we, we were doing okay. My, I had a decent job, but, uh, certainly no extra money. Um, and, uh, we just made it work. Honestly, if you're asking me how I got those five, I don't even know. I really don't know. It just kind of happened. Um, we ended up, uh, using, like I said, a HELOC to get the, I think the second one, um, we cashed out part of my 401k to get, uh, which was probably almost all of my 401k to get, uh, maybe one of the, the third one. I'm not exactly sure. We ended up, we got in a car accident. That was a horrible story. I don't even know if you want me to tell that story. It's fairly interesting, but uh, yeah, sure. I mean, nobody was actually hurt. So go ahead tell the story. Avery and I were in Texas. It was a friend of mine's wedding. My, my best friend in life, uh, uh, Ryan and and we went we drove to Texas and went to the wedding and on the way home we had a terrible accident uh that we Avery was driving and a a a, a large pickup truck coming towards us in the other lane you know it was a two lane 50 mile an hour highway 55 had a food truck hooked to the back of the the dually pickup truck like a 3,500 Ram or something. The food truck was this big giant enclosed, you know, thing like a barbecue food truck. And, uh, it came unhitched from the, the dually and came into our lane and hit his head on at 55 miles an hour. It was horrible. I don't even like talking about it. I don't want to think about it, but we ended up. You didn't actually see it happen though, because you were asleep. So I, I have asleep. of it coming towards me to live with for the rest of my life. At least you were asleep. <laughs> I was asleep. I woke up to smoke and 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 my not even wife yet uh, screaming. And my gut instinct was to jump on her. I said, are you OK? Can you move? And she said, yes. And I said, well, go run that way because I saw the most of the accident was the other way. I said, run the opposite direction because there was like propane tanks everywhere and, I, and they were leaking. And I thought maybe we were going to have an explosion. So I said, go run that way. And uh, and, and it was it was horrible. So we went through, I don't know, eight, 10 months of uh, rehab and ended up getting a check. And that check went straight to uh, another down payment. It wasn't, mu it wasn't much money. It was enough to barely, I may, it maybe not even cover a down payment on, on another property, um, which I'm very still, you know, it was a horrible situation, but I'm proud of us for doing that. Most people would have went out and bought, you know, something stupid. Uh, but, uh, we, we did the right thing with it. And, um, and then, uh, Ended up, then we ended up getting a partner. We had a part with, we had enough of them at this point where, and we had a little bit of experience and you start talking about these things in your life. And, uh, and, and, and I ran it, I was randomly at a bar with a very close friend, a, d a dude I knew for quite some time. And, and we, was, all of a sudden a deadbolt, digital deadbolt came up in conversation. And I said, how the hell do you know what that is? And he said, I, I own some short-term rentals in uh, Florida 
And next thing you know, uh, we we went into business uh, together because he wanted to get you know more properties, and it just it worked out pretty well. Pavan, yes, he's actually a guest on another episode of the podcast, so you guys can hear his story as well, separate from ours. And we did eventually get out of the partnership. Uh, and it, it it worked great, you know. But I think we were both very happy, and it went well. He's just still very. I mean, he's even closer friend to me today than he was back then. Um, so it can be done properly. If you have done properly, it, it can work. It worked for me. Okay. So the creative financing that we did, or not necessarily creative financing, but ways to kind of get that capital to make that next down payment. Uh, I will mention that we did do a 10% down vacation home loan on the first one. Uh, then we did HELOC, the house that we live in, lived in at the time. And we did cash out a 401k on one. And then we had a partnership with our friend Pavan on the the last two of that little sequence. Uh, a lot of people, there are a lot of people out there who are listening who are interested in structuring a partnership. Can you talk a little bit about that? How did you have your partnership structured? How did that work? Because I know a lot of people want to go down the partnership road, but they can't figure out how to make it work. Well, I got lucky. I found the right guy. He had partnered previously uh in basically the exact same situation in a different market um and he at the time still had a day job he would he wouldn't be interested in this today he's he's full-time now and and back then he needed the help and and i needed i needed the help as well so um luckily he he kind of already knew exactly how this was going to go and uh and we basically just you know we structured it that it was 50 50 um, he brought the money for the down payment and put the loan in his name. Uh, I, I took title with him. Uh, we, uh, we did it in our personal names to begin with. I think we may have done an entity later. I don't remember. Uh, but, uh, uh, we took title in my name and his name and, uh, the loan was in his name and I was the management basically. And, uh, and he was the money. And and then I did have to pay him back the money. It's not like he just brought the down payment and I was the work. I was paying back half of the, the mortgage to the bank. And then I had a second mortgage with him. Second mortgage is probably not the right term, but it, that's what it was. Uh, like for a mini mortgage, right? Mini mortgage for the down payment. So I, I owed half of the mortgage to the bank every month and half of the down payment back to my partner every month. And that's how it worked out. Would I do this again today? Probably not. I don't need to do it today. It worked out great back then. Um, and, and he was in a situation back then where he was too busy. He had a day job. Um, so it, it was perfect. It worked great. And, and, and the numbers were, you know, a little lean. Uh, we, we did fine on it. I was happy with it. Um, and it was a great step in my career and, uh, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we did it. Yeah, we definitely would not have been able to get to where we are today without that partnership. And this was before the short-term shop was born, you know. Um, so uh, the systems that the short-term shop has in place, uh, it may have been a different story uh, today. Uh, it would have been a different story today. But back then, we were still trying to find our way in life, uh, in this in this life, and uh, one step at a time. And and then honestly, I, I mean, feel free to take this wherever you want. But after the, those first five cabins, it was a landslide. Real estate got, I don't want to say easier, but uh, it was a different story. 
the more properties you get, the easier it is to get the next property for sure. So it does seem easier now because we've snowballed into such a, a large portfolio that it does not take as long to get that next down payment, whether that's for a multi or a single family or what have you. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about systems for management because you are the the management guy. You are the partner in the short-term shop that teaches people how to manage their properties remotely, which is a gigantic piece of investing in short-term rentals. It's very difficult to cash flow or cash flow well when you have a property manager. So let's talk about uh first of all, let's let's start with what constitutes a good deal before we get into the management because you do have to buy right before you even start, you know, managing correctly. So what constitutes a good deal to you? <laughs> ah, man, it could be any number of things. And, and, and today, what a deal is, is today for me is, is different than what it was back then, uh, slightly. Today, I want something that I like, that I think I can market personally, that I would like to stay in, something I can believe in. Um, I don't mind going into a new market. Um, especially as another second home, if possible. Uh, because once you have those systems, you can duplicate them anywhere. Um, but uh, I need a property that I, I mean, honestly, this last one, for instance, let's take a real, a real world example. This last one I bought, well, I bought two in the same month. Let's go with one of those two. I happened to randomly just hop on realtor.com one morning while I was putting on my running shoes. It was a Saturday <laughs> and there was this property. It was in the, uh, it was a cabin in the mountains and I'm like, and I wasn't even looking. I, I kind of knew like I, you know, I had a, a, the opportunity to, to line up another loan and, and, and that gets a lot easier when you have a, a lot more properties. Um, and so I said, let me just kind of glance at this. If I were to be interested in a property, it would be need, need to be one that was big enough for the whole family because we were at the time getting ready to relocate. And I wanted something that we could come back to whenever we, you know, and stay for extended periods of time. Um, and all of a sudden there it was, it was, uh, it just like literally popped up that second that I happened to look, I called you and you, uh, being my wife slash realtor, you, you were like, no, I'm busy. I'm not making an offer. Uh, and I, and I, te no, I texted you and then, and then I called and, and I think it was the phone call that made you realize, oh, he's not joking. <laughs> Um, so I, said, I was, I did not have my realtor hat on at 6.30 a.m. on Saturday. I had my mom hat on. I'm trying to make biscuits with the babies and you're bugging me. So yeah, I did not want, to, <laughs> I did not want to bother with that house. Well, and it's a whole, you know, I mean, I have to be careful because I am married to one of the biggest real estate agents in the world. And it's like that old saying, the cobbler's son goes shoeless, you know? So <laughs> uh, I got to be sensitive in that realm. Um, and I have oftentimes used in, in other markets, I certainly use other uh, agents, but, um, you know, you're the best in the business. So it's a double edged sword for me. But I, I called her and I said, hey, I want to buy this house. So then she knew I was serious and she made the offer and I came in super strong because, you know, everybody knows the market's red hot. And I told him, I said, listen, here's my offer. You got to take this by like noon or I'm out. Like for real, I'm not dealing with other buyers and other, other uh, highest and best crap. And it worked. It was a gamble. You know, you just never know what's going to work. Um, and Well, yeah. So let me interrupt you for just a second, because that is not going to work in most cases. Most 
most of the time in the market that we're in right now, as hot as it is, people are going to say, fine, give me a deadline. We're going to get 25 offers. So I'm going to wait on those 25 offers. But what was significant about this situation is I had never seen this agent's name before. So I knew that she was not very experienced in this market. She was a Knoxville agent, which is fine. There are plenty of Knoxville agents that do business in the Smokies, but I never seen her name before in hundreds and hundreds of deals. So I knew she was probably just a friend of the sellers or something. I knew she didn't know exactly how hot it was. So that's why this worked because I knew she wasn't familiar and that, well, it, it, that she wasn't waiting for a multiple offer situation. Well, she let me ask you. Happen. Let me ask you this. Is that repeatable? Like if I'm a buyer, can I go cruising for agents that don't know what they're doing or did I just get lucky? If your agent, if you use an agent who does a lot of deals, they're going to know these kinds of things. If you're using an agent who just does like four deals a year, they're not going to know that because you know an agent who did a hundred deals last year, they're going to know which agents are the most experienced because they will have done the most number of deals with them. So um, that's why it's important when you're choosing your agent to choose one who is busy because a, a not busy agent, while they do have plenty of time to like play around on Zillow with you all day they're it's because they're not doing business that they have time to do that. So uh, any of the agents on our team do enough business to know who's no, who knows what they're doing and who doesn't for sure. I agree. 100% agent is the biggest piece of the puzzle. Yeah, but that's not something that you're going to be able to know as a remote buyer. That's definitely an agent thing. But I didn't mean to interrupt with that. I just wanted to to clarify that that's not always going to be repeatable the way the market is right now. So to answer your question, I, I need to like the property. Sometimes I have some sort of criteria like this particular one needed to be a certain size-ish. I, I wanted a view on this one. I don't always care about a view. This particular one I did. It doesn't have a crazy view, um, but it, it fit the box and uh, and we ended up buying it. And and, I, and I'm not the guy, I don't really sit there and drive myself nuts over the numbers. Uh, I, first of all, I've been doing it so long, I can just look at a house and know exactly how much I can make with that house. Um, so that didn't happen on this one. It wasn't about that. Um, it, it, it was, will this fit in, in my system? Because I've already done this seven times before, you know, and and you, and you hear seven doors. That's another thing, this door syndrome. Uh, everybody talks about, oh, I've got this many doors. I think a better metric is how much are your doors worth? Because in long-term rental, a door can be 45 grand or, you know, 75 grand is probably pretty average. 45 is low, but 75 grand is pretty average, I think, on on especially for multifamily, but you know, let's say you've got 10, 10 short-term rentals and each one of them 600 grand. So that's a whole different thing. Yeah, absolutely. I have people ask me all the time, well, why do you only have six short-terms and 30 something long-terms? And it's because the portfolios themselves, I think dollar for dollar right now are almost, almost exactly the same amount but just a higher number of doors because a good short-term rental is going to be significantly more expensive than a long-term door. Yep. And it, it, it pumps more, more out too. You know, it's all, it's all uh, relative. Awesome. So let's get into the management side of things while I have you. So tell me, start, talk, talk to me like I've never done this before. I want to buy a property or I've got a property. I want to get started in self-management. How do I do that? What do I need? What tools do I need? How do I go? 
Well, the easy way to do it is use the short-term shop and come to my class uh, because it's, uh, I mean, it's its years of me getting uh, what I call upstream, which is a name of a wonderful book, by the way, of, of all the problems and issues that I've had and good things. Um, if you have the same good thing happen, well, let me explain upstream. If you have the same thing happen to for the third time, second, third time, uh, that's when it's time to fix it, go upstream of it, fix the problem before it happens. Again, I get the same comment, question, complaint from a guest, bad review from a guest. These things need to be fixed at the listing level, meaning in, in my description on, on verbo.com, airbnb.com, et cetera, or in my, oftentimes in my check-in message, my welcome message. Um, the difference between those two is if I need everybody, if I need the general public to know about it before they purchase my property, it has to go on the listing. If it needs to be something that they don't, if, it, if it's not something they need, they need to know until they've actually already paid for the property, then it goes in the check-in, the welcome message. Um, so up, getting upstream of issues is number one for me. Um, and, and for new for noob situation, obviously uh, the, the most stressful part, uh, and, and they're right, and you're right. If as a newbie, you're all right. The, the housekeeper is the, the most stressful piece of the puzzle. Um, and, and I've kind of turned that into a science, uh, just for me personally. And I share, I share my experience, uh, in, in my Monday course with our clients, of course, but, uh, I'm actually going through that right now. Uh, my first, uh, time in five years, I think that I've hired a new housekeeper and I got to tell you, it is not the same as it used to be. I mean, I, back in the day, we were like posting ads in the gas station and had to drive to town. If you were out of town, if you were living out of town or whatever, cause almost everybody, you know, doesn't. Nobody lives near where these properties are. That's that's the whole reason we got into it to begin with. We couldn't buy where we lived. It was too expensive. So we had to go buy somewhere else. Oh, well, we can put it on Airbnb. There's not there's no lease. Okay, cool. Let's try that. Um, so, you know, we drove out. I would drive out there, put a, a, a help wanted poster in the gas station and hope people would call me and all this craziness. And the enemy, I was, I was using the enemy method. I do still think that the enemy method is the the most it's the most difficult way to find the best housekeeper. Uh, it takes a lot of work and 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 selling yourself to other uh, hosts, you know, much like I did when I was looking for back in the day for help. Uh, but if you can find an enemy that is willing to talk to you and has a lot of good reviews and they're willing to give you their housekeeper's phone number that's worth gold why would they do that mm -hmm. yeah that's you know you gotta again you gotta pr create pr provide some kind of value to them whether it's you know may, i think the best way to approach that is to just kind of make them feel like they're changing your life a little bit is a pretty good way to do it like oh man i i didn't realize that you know i could uh, help other people in this business some people are going to take comfort in that and throw you a bone, uh, find a good housekeeper. But anyway, my point is, um, we, we are now, I am looking for a housekeeper and with, with the, with, with technology where it is, uh, Facebook, et cetera, uh, man, it, the Facebook, uh, has made a big difference in finding housekeepers because back six years ago, they weren't necessarily using, they weren't necessarily, you know, it, it was, they were probably using it more for personal reasons. And now Facebook is for everything. Um, and, uh, I, I had them coming out of the woodwork, new housekeepers, it's just people left and right private message, just posted one ad. And, and I had people coming left and right private messaging me saying, Hey, I want to clean your, your property. Problem is, is that most of them, you know, you're hiring a, an employee. So you have to get good at that. And 
uh, most of them are probably not going to fit the mold. Um, so I, I was able to weed most of them out just to, on Facebook messaging alone. And then I narrowed it down to a few that I ended up calling uh, as opposed to back in the day where I would like try and track down 30 different phone numbers. Uh, but anyway, so as you can see, the housekeeper uh, conversation can go on for quite some time. Um, I, I do, I do recommend that, that, that you don't take too much, uh, don't, don't get too stressed out about hiring the first housekeeper. They we've, I find that they generally only last about five months and it's usually your fault because you don't know what you're doing. You don't have any experience. You're, 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 you're going to put too much pressure on your housekeeper. You're going to, uh, make them do checklists and send you a bunch of pictures. And you're just one of 15 properties that they clean. So if, if you're the, if you're the house that they show up to that day that they're rolling their eyes over you know, that's not good. You gotta, you gotta be really nice to them and, 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 uh, and treat them with respect and, and, and throw, I throw them a bone throw pay them a little extra. Of course, then you're going to have some housekeepers that are charging too much out of the gate. So you got to balance that. And I don't hire a housekeeper based on how much they charge though. I, I, I hire based on the vibe. I could go on about this all day. The housekeeper is again for noobs, the most stressful part, but it's just one of many. Yeah. And a, a good housekeeper really is gold. They are your eyes and ears. They are going to be the ones to tell you, Hey, it's time to replace this one thing. Or, Hey, uh, looks like this, you need to call somebody to like clean these really high windows. Uh, Cause a lot of them don't do that. That's just an example, but uh, they're going to be the people that are keeping an eye on things and it's in their best interest. So a lot of people investor wise seem to be worried about housekeepers just not showing up because they don't feel like it, but it's in their best interest to make sure that your property is in the best condition possible. Because if you're not getting good reviews and you're not getting rentals, that means they're not in their cleaning. They're not getting cleaning gigs and they're not making money either. So the good housekeepers are going to tell you everything that's going on with your property every time they're in there. Best way to get a good housekeeper is to be a good host. Don't, don't be annoying to your housekeeper and, and, and also fit, do your best to filter out the junky guests, you know, cause the worse the guests are, the harder the housekeeper has to work. And yeah, so the better host you are, the better your housekeeper is going to be and the better the reviews are. And that's what it's all about. You said something really important there. So weeding out the junky guests. So a lot of new investors get really caught up in getting taking every single guest and getting every single night book. So can you talk a little bit about avoiding bad reviews by weeding out bad guests up front and how you do that? It must be done. It has to be done. Uh, people don't listen to me when I preach this. Uh, and I, I wouldn't have listened to myself, honestly, when I was brand new because you're freaking out. You know, you, you just spent all this chunk of dough on a property. You don't even know if the property is going to, you know, you might end up losing your butt and your family's, looking at you funny because you, you got in, you bought it, you got another mortgage now and all this stuff. So, um, but the truth of the matter is if you're in a vacation market, yeah, Avery preaches about drivable vacation markets, anywhere, really anywhere where the short-term shop operates. And there's several others in the, in the nation. Uh, if you're in a vacation market, you will have more guests than you know what to do with. Now, that being said, if you're on the beach, you're going to have a three month, you know, off. you're going to, it's like a teacher. You're like a, opposite months of a teacher, you're going to have three months off in the winter and it's awesome. That doesn't mean that property is not going to produce as much as one in the mountains. It just only produces for nine ish, 10, eight months a year. But you, I'm, t I'm here to tell you, I, t I preach it constantly. You will have so many bookings. You, 
you will be very su- pleasantly surprised with the amount of bookings. There are exceptions to that. If you're charging too much, for instance, uh, uh, great rule of thumb, if you're not getting booked, you're charging too much. If you're too booked, you're not charging enough. Very simple, common sense. Um, but here's th- my best piece of advice, the easiest piece of advice, and one that I pr- practice myself. Okay, here's a real example. I had one this morning. It came in late last night. Um, by the way, if they message it late at night, I do take that into consideration. That is, in my opinion, a guess that's not that great. Uh, I don't look at my phone in the middle of the night, uh, but at two o'clock in the morning, if I if I, I wake up at four, uh, and I do I do an hour worth of work before I go for my run. I'm a miracle morning guy, uh, so from four to five, I do generally at least I check in with my VA, my my employees who help me with this stuff. I have one full-time, full-time guy, and then a few others. So um, I check in with him. I make him a video to get the day started in case, because I I might not be available when he comes on to work at at the hour he comes on. Uh, I might be in a meeting or something. So I generally make him a quick little five, 10 minute video, say, hey, this is what today's going to look like. Let's do this thing. Um, And and in that process, I do kind of cruise through what happened on Verbo and Airbnb. And if I see one that had came in at three o'clock in the morning, I'm rolling my eyes. I might even because I use a software, right? I use a property management software that auto pre-approves everybody. So if they send me a message and they my software auto pre-approves them and I see it came in at three in the morning, I might un-pre-approve them and, and sometimes even go so far as decline. I don't, I don't recommend declining uh, on either platform because it's not great for your rankings. It's not great for your analytics. It's not a, it's not a terrible thing. I, do, I don't mind declining occasionally. Canceling, that's a whole other story. You cannot cancel. Cannot do that ever. It's a dropping a bomb on your listing. Um, but uh, so uh, now I'm going off on a rabbit hole. Uh, the late night thing is, is, I don't mean to put so much emphasis on that. That's just one little thing. The big thing is when they ask a lot of questions. If they're asking me, um, uh, and I'll get back to the, I'm, I'm, I mentioned I had a real world example. I'll get back to that. Uh, if they're asking me a lot of ridiculous questions and I don't, I don't even have a specific example, but let's say they say that, let's say that they ask me what thread count my sheets are. (laughs) I'm going to say our sheets are microfiber. It's probably not the house for you. I don't want that guest because, and and normally that question is followed by one or two or three other questions, additional questions. They, they want attention. They want, they're probably over extenuating themselves on this vacation. They're probably spending more than they can afford. So they want everything to be absolutely perfect. And when they get to your house, there is no way to meet that expectation on somebody who's overextended. Um, So you just kind of have to try and shy them away a little bit, you know? So I will say, Hey, we got microfiber, probably not the right house for you. Um, Yeah. I can't any more specific examples, but I will. So that, that one that I mentioned that came in in the middle of the night, let's, let me go over that. She, she said, and this was on my most expensive property. We're talking a property that I get sometimes up. Uh, I think her reservation was somewhere in the neighborhood of $700 a night. So she says to me, I'm a super host from Texas and I would love to stay in your property, but I need to know if you could give me a discount. <laughs> so no, uh, absolutely no discounts ever. I, I, I totally need you. I need all new hosts out there to uh, uh, listen to me when I say that you don't want to offer discounts because if you offer discounts, you're throwing them a bone, you're giving them an inch and they will take you 7,000 miles. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it for my, my father. Like I said, military of uh, my whole family's military. I won't even give military discounts. Um, my prices again are set 
fairly well. I don't feel like I need to give discounts. So um, anyway, oh, one more thing on that. Other hosts, other Airbnb Verbo hosts tend to make terrible guests anyway. And I've learned this the hard way because they'll sit there and say, hey, I'm a super host. You need to let me come stay in your property. And then when they get there, all they do is rip your property apart and and pick apart every little thing that they would have done differently in that property. And then boom, three stars. And it's like, you got to be kidding me. You live your life on these reviews. You just hit me with a bad one. Where, where's karma? It's, it's coming, dude. Your com karma's coming for you. You know, so this lady, she ended up coming back. We told her the answer she didn't want to hear. Um, and uh, I don't remember exactly the, the back and forth. She came back again and she and she asked some ridiculous, stupid question. And we were like, you know what? You know, there's pl plenty of other properties. You might want to check somewhere else out. Uh, have a nice day. So long story short, if if you get the vibe that they're going to be kind of high maintenance or annoying, they are going to be. Probably more so than if you're getting that vibe right out of the gate, it's going to be bad. Uh, and and again, it all goes back to reviews. Uh, the reviews are, in, unfortunately, everything in this business. Um, and uh, it can be difficult to deal with at times. But that's a fantastic way to, to nip it in the bud and get rid of the bad review before it ever happens. Awesome. So you're saying that by telling them, by giving them the answer that they don't want to hear to their questions, once you've kind of decided, all right, this person is going to be pretty high maintenance, will probably give me a bad review. You just simply get rid of them by telling them the answer that you know they're not looking for. Absolutely. Yep. I do it all the time. Genius, genius. So you mentioned that you use some software to kind of help you manage these things. What does that look like? What platform are you using? So there's several uh, to choose from. There's different types of softwares. There's uh, the, the main ones are going to be property management software and pricing software. Property management softwares will automate most of the dirty work for you, get it to the point where you don't really have to do anything uh, other than the uh, emotional questions and uh, ridiculousness that, that the general public is going to have while they're going on vacation. Because you got to remember, people on vacation tend to be a little more high maintenance than they would be in real life. Um, but Property management software will automate most of that stuff for you. It'll leave your reviews for you. Um, it will keep your, your listing fresh for you because if you move things around in your listings, uh, you, you're, you'll stay at the top of the ranking system. Um, now, the most, most, most hosts are going to be moving stuff around enough on their own that they don't necessarily need that, but it's nice to have. Um, so mostly the, just, it's, it's like uh, next level messaging and uh, 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 automation for the messages is the most important part. And then there's pricing softwares. Uh, let me touch on a few name brand um, property management softwares. There's dozens of them. I mean, just dozens of them. And all of them, honestly, are fairly similar. They just are kind of, they've been developed by somebody, a different brain. So a lot of the just clicking around you would do on your dashboard, things are just in a different place on one software to the other. They, they, a lot of them, I hate to generalize, are going to be pretty similar to, to, to one another. It just kind of depends on which one clicks best with your brain. You can also, with most of them that are available, you can schedule a Zoom with their sales department and decide if that software is, is for you. Uh, so I, I recommend that. But uh, the, the bigger ones out there are um, uh, Beds24 is a big one, Hostfully. Um, and, and within the short-term shop, we recommend four to choose from um, that fit what we do. Um, and those are IGMS. IGMS is kind of the OG. Uh, they were the first to get Verbo integration. 
Uh, your Porter, uh, IGMS and Your Porter are almost identical, uh, except for Your Porter has terrible customer service. Terrible. Um, Smart BNB. Smart BNB is not API, meaning it, it doesn't directly integrate to your Verbo and Airbnb dashboard. It simply sits on top of it and kind of pulls the strings. And then owner res is the fourth that we recommend. Uh, owner res is it's more for folks who want to start their own website and, and, and get try and get their own bookings at johnnyscabins.com uh, via and then you you would be probably you would most likely be spending money on Facebook advertisements to, to accomplish this social media advertisements, Google ads, click click ads, etc. Um, and if you are using owner res, by the way, you're gonna want to use smart BNB with it. You're going to need to use both of them because owner res, for instance, uh, will not automate reviews, which is a big time suck. Uh, leaving reviews is a kind of a waste. It's, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, uh, just a couple of things that owner res won't do that smart BNB will do for you. You can use them in combination. Um, and then pricing really there's, there's only, there's three, but only two that we, we feel fit, uh, our mold. Um, so there's, a uh, Beyond pricing, which is very sexy and easy to use and uh, very user-friendly and, and, and uh, uh, simple. It doesn't take a lot of work to integrate. It's You just log in and you're done, basically. Um, it's not necessarily inexpensive. It does charge 1% of your gross, which includes, of course, gross is gross. It does include cleaning fees. Um, uh, beyond, I, I usually recommend Beyond for somebody who's like stupid busy like like a like a surgeon or maybe somebody's about to have a baby um and uh just doesn't want to use a property manager so throw it on beyond pricing and you're kind of done with the pricing because pricing used to be back in the day when before all these fancy softwares when i first started uphill both ways in the snow it was it was a lot of work it was it was the most important part of the of the business because the pricing is is how much money you make and if you don't do it right you can sink the ship um, or, you know, but anyway, so, uh, the, 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 next choice would be price labs, which is my, I absolutely recommend, uh, with property management softwares, I think there's no wrong answer. You can kind of pick which one works best for you. Um, I'm personally using your Porter at the moment. Doesn't mean I will be in three months. <laughs> I've been with them for about a year and a half. Um, and price labs is absolutely uh, a game changer in my opinion, Again, Beyond will do most of the things, uh, but the thing with Price Labs, it's a little more robust. It's a little, a little more uh, customizable. You got a few more functions that Beyond doesn't have. It's also very inexpensive. One downside is, is the website is not very user friendly. It's a little ugly. It looks kind of looks like a junior somebody from junior high may have made this website. Their customer service is is fantastic. Uh, I will say Price Labs is. Um, uh, I can't live without. I think it's amazing. I, I love it. Uh, I, I trust it. That being said, it's a job. It's a job in itself. You can't just turn Price Labs on and go. Uh, you do need to pay attention to it. You need to adjust your 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 low, your base, and your max, min, base, and max prices on there. And I do that using what I call the six-week method, which you can find a video on that on the uh, short-term shop YouTube. Awesome. So a lot to unpack there. We got a little bit in the weeds. Maybe we can do an entire other episode, just the platforms. I think that would Let's be go, really helpful. If you don't mind, can I go back to the property buying thing really quick and just kind of wrap that up? Yes. Okay. So yeah, because the management really is kind of a whole nother episode. But um, so 
property. Once we got to, I guess it would probably would have been our sixth property. You've got a funnel, right? So basically at this point, I've got X percentage of all my bookings in my long-term. I only had maybe one or one or two at this point, long-term rentals. You, you funnel X percent of all of that cash that whatever you're making into a, basically a separate bank account. I, I use the book profit first. This is again, a whole nother episode we could do. Uh, long story short, once you kind of get past that hump of learning how to talk to loan people, that's a big part of it and, and get the financing and get, you know, the first five, six properties and, and worrying about DTI. Um, then the, the floodgates are going to open, you know, then the properties can start buying themselves. And that is when things really heat up. Awesome. Thank you. I'm not sure why you're <laughs> laughing at me. <laughs> I'm not sure how you went from Price Labs to that. But, well, uh, <laughs> you know, rabbit holes. Yeah. Okay. So last three questions of the episode, we may do a, another episode on just the management platform side because there is a lot to go through there. Uh, what advice would you give 20 year old Luke? What wouldn't be possible. You could not give 20 year old Luke advice. Uh, he would have just spit in your face. Um, unfortunately, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't know. I really don't think it was, it would have been possible. Uh, and, and I think that that is exactly why I am where I am today. I would just never take no, you know, never take anything from anybody. Uh, I just, you know, get to, I don't know. It's a terrible answer but it just really would not have worked. I can definitely see that, how that would not have worked. You would have gotten a couple of middle fingers. <laughs> honest answer, honest answer. So kind of piggybacking off of that, what advice would you give to a newbie who's trying to get started in real estate investing right now? Stop getting in your own way. Um, don't worry so much about inspection reports. <laughs> uh you know, you don't want to buy a house that's falling over, but I mean, let me tell this story real quick. Uh, again, rabbit hole. I, I had a new inspector. You got to get to know inspectors. It's part of your job. It's just like learning to deal with lenders and broker, mortgage brokers. What's the difference between a lender and a mortgage broker? Do you even know what the difference is? You got to figure that stuff out. So um, I had a new inspector on a property in a market that I'm just barely in. I've got, I'm in five different states with my properties, right? So um, we are, sorry, it's, uh, it's, I can't see you. So anyway, but uh, so we are in five different states. I had a new inspector on a property in a state that I'm not that deep into yet in a market. And this guy came back and said the floors, the subfloors were messed up. The floors were squishy and, and I'd passed on it. Uh, mostly because I was in a hurry. I didn't, I was uh, getting ready to go out of town or something. I didn't have time to deal with it. And a squishy subfloor is not that big a deal. Generally, you just replace the plywood and you go. But you never know. It could be the joists. Um, so <laughs> I ended up doing two more inspections uh, like a week later, uh, which is funny because we're talking about buying the first couple of properties. And, and now I'm to the point where I'm doing four inspections a week. You know, it's awesome. But anyway, um, guess what happened? Well, guess what came up on both of those inspections on these two other properties? Squishy subfloor. And I'm like, this guy just likes to put, he's cut, cut, cut and paste in this. You know what I mean? He's, he's using a template. So I just, I kind of learned that this home inspector is going to put squishy subfloor on every damn inspection. 
So I bought those two houses, you know, and uh, you got to learn. I'm not telling you to go buy squishy subfloor houses, but you got to learn uh, what's going to work for you. I mean, hell, I bought a house one time, forgot to get an inspection. That's a pretty good story. But don't get in your own way. Don't don't let some stupid little piece stop you. Uh, because I've never met anybody that regret, re you really never meet anybody that regrets buying it. Uh, you meet a lot of people who just go back to their, their, whatever life they were living before and, and hoping they get a pension someday. I've never heard anybody say that they regret buying a property. I've only heard people say that they regret not buying properties. We had one that ended up being not that great of a situation eventually, but guess what? We put it on the market, we sold it, and I turned a pretty damn big profit. And I and I 1031 into another property. Awesome. Awesome. So last question. And I know you read a lot of books, so I'm gonna have to ask you to keep it brief. But what is your favorite <laughs> book that you've read recently that has impacted your mindset? Not, as always, Avery's telling me to stop talking so much. But the uh, <laughs> favorite book I read recently. Um that I'm sorry, the the full quote. Oh, that has impacted your mindset. Oh, man. <laughs> Brief is not going to happen. Sorry. Um, so I started the year out with a book called Don't Be a Dick, which completely changed the way I think about things, honestly. Um, I've been a dick for a long time. Uh, and trying to, trying to, trying to pull, that, pull it off by just masking it with humor. Uh, but, uh, that book really did change the way my brain works. And like every little thing that comes out of my mouth now, I'm like, man, you were kind of a dick. Don't do that. You know, and used to be, I would never think of that at all. I would just keep steamrolling. And so don't be a dick. Fantastic. By the way, I've recommended it to several people and they didn't like it. And I think it's cause they weren't dicks. Watch um, it with the D word. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Name of the book. Uh, don't be a D word. Um, and then, uh, I also just read emotional, um, uh, what is it? Uh, emotional intelligence 2.0. Emotional intelligence 2.0, which is teaching me. It's it's honestly, I think I feel like that book is a little bit uh, kind of a more a little bit more modern version of how to win friends and influence people. So that one I liked a lot. Um, and right now I'm actually reading Peak Performance, which I'm really digging. It's written by a runner, and I'm a huge runner, so his brain and my brain work the same way. And that one is really helping me out as well. That was decently brief. You did a pretty good job. Following I can keep going. Writing. I can totally keep going. <laughs> a lot of book reading going on. <laughs> uh, well, Luke, thank you so much for coming on. A lot of really good information here. We'll definitely have you on again. And where can everyone find you who's listening? Well, yeah, we, I would like to, we should do a whole show just on the, uh, the funnel that I was mentioning, you know, how to take the money from the properties and to put it into a property. Mm -hmm. Um, I teach classes on that within the short-term shop and everybody loves it. I think we should do that. Um, find, find me nowhere. Uh, find me being a good dad. I want to be found. <laughs> I don't want to be found. I want to, I want to be at the park with my kids. Uh, but um, at uh, shorttermshop.com and I'm the guy that does the YouTubes uh, for the most part uh, on our YouTube channel. Uh, and Bigger Pockets. I'm a huge Bigger Pocket fan. Uh, I've been hanging out on that Facebook, uh, the, the short-term rental forum since basically the day it was created. And I had no clue what I was doing. Please don't go look at back at my early posts. It was terrible and pathetic, but I still do hang out on there and try to respond as much as possible. And, and uh, I love, I love hearing from people on BP. We're big fans. Love BP. They're yeah. the best. 
So thank you so much for coming and we hope to have you back soon. Anytime.